when we come to the whole issue of God becoming flesh, all of the accounts that tell of the birth of Christ, the incarnation. There are many places to go, there are many directions to go, there's much teaching and theology. But I was just now thinking, if I wanted to choose two words, and if you want to debate this, that's all right. Three words. To be the capstone of all this reveal, how would you summarize it? He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And it might remind us to think in these terms. When Jesus began his ministry, he started with this exhortation to his disciples. Follow me. He humbled himself. Follow me. Oh, one more thing before we get started. There is one problem that we have above all others. Of course, all of it coming under the heading of sin so far as a problem. But the sin of pride. Jesus humbled himself. He, of all ones who only had reason to be proud, humbled himself. Isn't it interesting, or rather, isn't it tragic that in so many of the presentations about the birth of Christ, there is an exorbitant amount of pride in presentation. We, we, we need to get back to Scripture. We need to get this right. This is foundational. This is not surface. And these verses in chapter 2 of Philippians are astounding. They're deep. They're wonderful. They have much to teach us. We'll go as far as we can. We'll title this Jesus, the Supreme Model of Humility. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us that we would each hear the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, transform lives as only you can do. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now, when you read the little epistle of Philippians, it becomes clear that there's a problem in that church. There's a problem of worldliness, there's a, pro- a problem of, of conflict. If you have your Bibles, open them to Philippians 3, verse 18 and 19. And I'll draw from some other translations uh, as I read through the KJV on this. In verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3, from many walk, he's talking not, not about the people outside the church, but 
those under the umbrella of what would be called church, the church at Philippi, many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping, this epistle of joy and rejoicing. In the midst of it, Paul is dealing with something here that has him weeping. That they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Another translation says, For there are many, as I used to often tell you, and now I'm telling you even with tears, who live and walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. They set their minds on things of earth. They are absorbed with earthly matters. Boy, you can go in any direction with that. You can uh, get all absorbed with all that's going on for the news. You can get all absorbed with all of the, well, we don't know what the truth is anymore about anything medical. (laughs) And so you can get all absorbed at trying to lay a handle on that and and as 24-7 on various media if you want to drink in all of that drink it in and if that's what you drink in guess what you'll talk about that's what you'll talk about and it can be on any arena absorbed um, if you have media and if you use it if you love sports it's easy to get absorbed and mind earthly things. We can just go in any direction with this, and this is a problem that we have. One, one translation says, and this world is the limit of their horizon. What has your heart? What has my heart? What am I absorbed with? Is it things of the earth? Is that the limit of my thinking and my focus. And again, the root of all these evils is the opposite of humility, pride, conceit, vanity, vainglory. And so the Apostle Paul has the Spirit of God leading him to minister to this church. In verse 2 through 5, he says, fulfill my joy. I want you to be like-minded, having the same love, Being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing, your your Bible has a word for nothing like there, not some things, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. This is how, do you realize, when the Spirit of God brought the incarnation, brought this miracle of God becoming man, of Jesus coming to earth, God with us, this is, where, this is one of the key places they went. Not, not on a day of the year, but any day of the year. It was life-changing, year-round celebration. The birth of Christ, the miracle of Christ is shown. What, what is it showing us? Nowhere, no, no matter where you turn, it's humility. In contrast to pride, arrogance. In these amazing verses, 5 through 11, is compacted the deity of Christ, the pre existence, eternal nature of Christ, his, his being equal with God the Father, that we have God in the flesh, we have genuine humanity. Jesus came and was literally a human. God made him, made for him a body. He didn't cease to be God, but he became a man. And his death on the cross in the place of sinners. All of that flows out of incarnation. Here's a profound portrait of Jesus Christ. The creator humbled himself and lay in a virgin's womb. In a cow stall, here's a snapshot of the humility of our Lord. The historical record of the actual moment in time when Jesus came, of course, is given to us in, in Luke and some in Matthew, but there are other hints and revelations in other places and prophecies in the Old Testament and so when you combine God's word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon his word, we're able to gaze and be astounded at the humility of Christ. Eternal with the Father, but he humbled himself. He became obedient to imperfect parents. He no doubt did errands. He carried out responsibilities. His earthly father was a carpenter. He no doubt worked in the carpenter shop. He humbled himself. When you read the New Testament, you find that he was friends with tax collectors and fishermen and sinners and little children. He humbled himself. He, he gave up his riches, 2 Corinthians 8 9. For our sake he became poor. He humbled himself. Tempted in all points as we but with far greater intensity because he never gave in. The pressure was never off. You've had that experience, the pressure to sin, and you're holding off and you're holding back and you're fighting, and, and all of a sudden, sadly, you give in. Now you've got guilt, but the pressure is off. For Jesus, the pressure was never off. Tempted in all points as we yet without sin. He humbled himself. He, he suffered hunger and thirst and weakness and 
rebuke and slander and he was accused of being of having a demon and being mad he lived under the cloud of being an illegitimate and so we remind ourselves as we see Jesus in all of his humility manifesting his humility and his first words to his disciples is follow me well lord i didn't i, I, I didn't i didn't i didn't sign up for that I, I just don't want to go to hell uh that's not an option heaven the work of christ is not an escape hatch from hell oh it's a great benefit but the word of the Lord is, follow me. He humbled himself. He voluntarily descended to be despised and rejected of men. Probably one of the most profound revelations of that is in Isaiah 53. I don't remember who this was or who told me this or but I remember listening to someone speak years ago, and they knew a gentleman. And this was not a point of bragging. This man never said it of himself. But one of his family members revealed this to the person to whom I was listening. And the report was that this man could almost never read through Isaiah 53 without weeping. I would commend to myself and to you a regular turning to Isaiah 53. This is from the 1984 version of the NIV, which is the only NIV version that I would be open to using. Here's a good statement. First eight verses of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face. And he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its sharers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was cut off. 
from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. Jesus humbled himself to death on the cruel cross. That's an amazing thing because he didn't deserve that. Now, we're all sinners and it's appointed unto us once to die. And then the judgment. We've earned these wages. We've earned the wages of the second death in hell. But Jesus, he had not earned any of that. Death had no claim on him. He willingly humbled himself to die for his sheep. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He humbled himself to become our sin bearer, become the substitute for us ungodly sinners. Nowhere in scripture does anyone turn to the birth of Christ to have a party. There are many times and places where it's fine to have a party. It's fine to have family gatherings, fine to do all sorts of things. But I'm just reporting. Don't, don't get mad at me. Search out the scripture. Be, be a Berean. Search it out. Nowhere in scripture. You say, but weren't the angels like having a party? I mean, they were singing. Yes. Unto you is born a Savior. Oh, that's, that seems to be a monotonous theme. Well, it's not monotonous, but it is a singular theme. When Jesus came to earth, it's only and all about a Savior. He humbled himself. John the Baptist would later say, because he first worshipped him when he was in the womb, but later when he would see Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just Jews. People of every kindred tongue, tribe, and people. By the way, has Jesus ever taken away your sin debt? Has he destroyed the ruling power of your sinning and the ruling power of Satan? When Jesus comes, when he comes to you, that's what he comes to do. He humbled himself. He created all. He owns all. He's indebted to no one. And yet no one ever owed more than he. He humbled himself to the painful, shameful, accursed death on Calvary's cross. He died on the cross. In the eyes of the men of men as a criminal, in the eyes of the courts of men, they found no fault in him, but they agreed to have him slaughtered anyway. A cruel cross. Dying by that method is cruel. But, yes, but 
Many die that way. So, what's so special about Jesus dying that way? True, he didn't deserve it and he was doing it for others. Oh, he did it for his people. And while on that cross, experiencing the same kind of cruelty and pain and agony that hundreds, maybe thousands of others have experienced as they have been given the sentence of death by fellow man. But Jesus, on that cross, as you know, while he was there, the wrath of holy God, which we deserve, was laid on him. And Jesus had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was paying the price of his people's sin debt. Bethlehem and Calvary are vitally connected. In the biblical model, At Bethlehem, there's incredible joy, rejoicing, worship. Not entertainment, but worship. Joy and rejoicing over what was taking place. At Calvary, solemnness. Deep solemnness. When we come to the Lord's table, because we're at this side of Calvary, there should be a deep solemnness, but also a joy. And we'll see that in some of the verses in Philippians chapter 2. But no entertainment, no fun and games, no pride-filled presentations, Thanks be to God that this passage in Philippians 2 doesn't end in verse 8. In verse 9 and following, there is this wonderful word, wherefore. He came to Calvary. He, his whole purpose of, the whole purpose of incarnation, the, the whole wonder and mystery of God in the flesh and all that that means and him humbling himself to the cross. Even unto the death of the cross, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even unto the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So you flip over to the Revelation and page after page after page and the resounding music and, that is sung and said in heaven is all about the glorious Lamb who went to Calvary and who was raised 
and ever lives and is ever worshiped. What are some lessons for us this morning from this passage? Well, obviously, first and foremost, the lesson of one having faith in his atoning sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We've all sinned. We need forgiveness. There's no other way to obtain it. All the works of our hand are as filthy rags. The blood of animals will not do it. Only Jesus, in his humiliation, shed his blood. It's cleansing blood, sacrificial blood, substitutionary blood. He's the only way. He's the only name. So flee to Christ. If you've never fled to him for forgiveness of your sin, if you've never fled to him for him to be your savior, your Lord, your master, flee to him. Another lesson out of this account of humility, and everywhere you look at the life of Jesus, you're looking at humility. This passage, reading Isaiah 53, should give us a fresh and growing hatred of sin. It worked that way in Paul's life. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which I've died to the world and the world has died to me. Galatians 6.14. God himself is the source and the chief example of humility. We've made reference today that our, uh, about the issue and the problem of pride, and we've been talking about the wonderful gift of humility. And so we can say as, and I don't know who I first heard say this, but it's so true, humility is our greatest friend, and pride is our greatest enemy. Now this is very difficult for us to sort out because we live in a world where everywhere you turn I'm so proud of you and there are human levels in which maybe it's okay to use that terminology but what do you have but that you were given it never forget that It's not just what we receive from the outside, but it's what we come up with from our own heart. We're proud. I can do this. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I want to do what I want to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. Pride. Humility is our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy. A wonderful verse in Isaiah 66. The Lord says, To this man will I look, even to him that is poor, that is, who is humble, and of contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Or as the epistle James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God gives grace to the humble, 
he resists the proud. Those are the options. At the end of the day, do I have any righteous or rightful or hopeful, genuinely hopeful expectation of grace or of God's resistance? Let's put it this way. What, what do you need help? What do I need help with today? Well, suppose you were to say something like this. Lord, I need help with my spouse. You would not believe what she or he is doing or has done or how they're acting toward me. No. If you're listening and you're running your thoughts through the grid of scripture and you're letting the word of God penetrate into the depths of your mind and soul, here's what you're going to hear. Your request is full of pride. I'm going to resist you. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be funny. This is not playing games. This is reality. God resists the proud. He gives Grace to the humble. But on the other hand, another praise, O oh God, be merciful to me because I have sinned. I've sinned against my spouse. I've sinned against my neighbor. I've sinned against a fellow church member. I've sinned against someone at work. I have failed to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ in so many areas. Help me, Lord. Based on the word of God, you're going to hear the spirit of God bringing the truth of God's scripture into the depth of your soul. I'm going to give you grace. I resist the proud. I give grace to the humble. Oh, boy. It's not going to be easy street from now on. God is going to give you grace to honor him. He may give you a, del a deliverance that is astounding and blows your mind and you love it. He may give you a grace that years later you realize, Lord, you used that whole situation to break me, to humble me, to make me your servant, to get my eyes off the failures of others, and to get my eyes on being your servant and leaving everything else in your hands. He gives grace to the humble. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. Humility helps us to be walking in the steps of Jesus. Let's add a couple more things before we close. God hates all sin. But some sins get an asterisk by them. Uh, God gives them special attention. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, there is a list of things that God hates. And among those 
is a proud look. Chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward or the cruel mouth do I hate. God hates pride. And then in chapter 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination. The word abomination is a big word that just in simple terms means this is something that God really hates. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though his hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. God not only hates pride, he is against the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. And so, therefore, in closing, to use the words of another, mortify your pride, kill your pride, put it to death, cultivate humility. He said, well, how do you do that? By meditating upon Jesus, especially his birth. Ephesians 2, the passage we read, is about the birth of Christ. And the impact of it. You say, I don't know if I've ever been to uh, a meeting, a gathering where this is supposed to be about the birth of Christ. And, and uh, we, maybe we sang some songs and read some scripture, but then it just went everywhere. You say, are you trying to put me under condemnation? No. I'm certainly not trying to tell you to do go out and tell somebody else what to do I'm telling this, the word of God is telling me and the word of God is telling you we have a great enemy pride we have a great friend humility how can you know if you're walking close to Jesus there's humility John Owen a brother long ago said fill your affection with the cross of Christ that there may be no room for sin. Meditate upon Jesus. Meditate upon his birth, his life, his resurrection, his crucifixion, resurrection. Spend time there. Another said, abide close to Bethlehem and Calvary and search the mystery of his humility. These are not just little stories to be read for the children so we can then do something else. This is core, central, fundamental, foundational, exciting, genuine Christianity. God with us. We come to the Lord's table. It is purposely designed to call us to attention, to call us to be humble, to call us to behold he who is 
the epitome of humility and who says, come to me. All ye who labor, labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Oh, the, the way of Jesus is so hard. No. My flesh may scream, but Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The response of humility may cause you to scream because you feel like you have every right to scream out in pride and defense and arrogance to stand up for yourself. And so conflict rages. And Jesus says, come unto me. Walk with me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. Father, we ask for the blessing of the Spirit of God to be upon us. May we heed and obey the Lord in all things. And during this time of responding, may we obey the Lord. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.